Welcome to Spill the Tea, a bi-weekly download of life, liberty, and the latest in culture and news with your hosts, Dr. Robert McClure and Sal Nuzzo. Welcome to another episode of Spill the Tea. I'm Sal Nuzzo. Here with me, as always, is our CEO, Dr. Bob McClure. Uh, Bob, tons to go through. Lots going on, not only in the state of Florida, but across the country. Yep, let's let's jump right in. We've got special sessions here with the Florida legislature. First off, redistricting. Looks like uh, the legislature is deferring to the governor's uh, map request. Uh, so I imagine, uh, based on what happens this week when they pass this and the governor signs, it's going to be litigated. I think it probably would have been litigated regardless sure, of what was yeah. what was passed. But um, a far more aggressive take on drawing of maps that uh, would either preserve or advance a Republican majority for the congressional delegation. No question about it. You know, the governor has been consistent with his beliefs and his principles on issues. So whether it's the cancel culture or whether it's, you know, school choice, or in this case, it's redistricting, he comes out, he he has a very clear position, uh, vaccines, keeping the economy open, and he kind of demands or, you know, people fall in line with him. The, the good news is that, you know, this is a governor who values freedom, who values liberty. And so generally, we're almost always in, in agreement with him on the issues. But his, um, you know, he's not he's not Jeb Bush. He's not Charlie Chris. He's not even Rick Scott, although Rick Scott was not quite as, uh, did not kind of work as well with the legislature as some of the other governors. He's got a really interesting style. And then, but so far it's been effective. The legislature falls in line. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's also a testament to the way that he refuses to accept the premise of the left on whatever the right. policy argument is. Take uh, it just case in point, an additional special session uh, topic is uh, the special taxing districts right. uh, that exist in the state of Florida. We've got, I think it's more than a thousand of them, but in particular, the Reedy Creek one, which is the Disney special district where the legislature may be passing a bill that uh, sunsets it or removes that taxing district, some major implications locations for Orange and Osceola County if that goes. Yeah, look, it's 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 uh it's really interesting and Reedy Creek is getting all of the publicity, but the reality is you're right. Florida has th- over a thousand special districts. Uh it that is a way of picking winners and losers. Yep. Generally, uh you know, JMI uh has a real issue obviously with picking winners and losers, but the, but you also have to deal in reality and the reality is they are there and they've been there forever. And so how do you reform that? You're not going to you can say you get rid of all special districts, but it's never going to happen in the state. So the reality is uh, I think you had a really great idea, which was to sunset them and reevaluate them on a three, five, ten, probably not three, five to ten year basis. So I, I think that's an interesting way to go about this moving forward. Yeah, and if you look at, I mean, I, I think they they framed the special session to uh, look at and examine special taxing districts that were in place prior to 1968. Right. So that it was surprising to me that it had existed that long and had never. Ever been either brought up for renewal or or kind of been made to justify itself yet again. I think there's certainly some value in not just for special taxing districts that old, but even ones that came out 
20 or 30 no years question. ago yeah. to take a look at. Yeah, and I think I think that you know you've got these fire districts, you got I mean all of these things and it is picking winners and losers. And so I do think uh ironically nobody thought this at the time, but this whole Disney kerfluffle could give rise to reforming special yep. districts. I think it's interesting. You know, the governor's uh position on this whole uh, fight with Disney is consistent with what we just said. He yep. comes out with a glare, very clear position. Um, he fights for his principles. He pushes back against the left very, very hard. And sometimes I think initially some politicians, because many of them are not very courageous, kind of look around and go, whoa. I, I, and, but then they fall in line. So I don't know if this is a bluff. I don't know if they're going to care go right up to the bridge and not jump off. Or whether they do it or not. But it's really going to be interesting to see what happens. Speaking of not falling in line, a Florida judge, a federal judge in the state of Florida, uh, ruled that the CDC's uh, mask mandate on public transport, uh, they it, it was not it was a violation of their authority to continue it. Uh, and so you had Uber and Lyft almost immediately dropping their mask mandates. Uh, most of, if not all, all of, of the, the major airlines, airlines. Yep. Yep. Um, as somebody who travels frequently, I have a mask for one and one reason only. And that is when I go to the airport and when I get on a plane, it is useless. It has no bearing on actually either protecting or not protecting the disease. And I think you've seen... Uh, a whole host of uh, kind of uh, joy around the business travel environment as this was uh, as this was kind of as it went through. No question, Judge Catherine Mazel, if yep. I pronounce if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, Trump appointee um, from Tampa, uh, struck it down, and it's amazing that we have been dealing with this political theater for two years, and then all of a sudden it's over. And so, um, you know, it, it, it tells you how, um, how corrupt big government can be, how uh, people, th- this, this whole mass situation was not about health uh, and safety. It was about control. And, um, you know, whether it was the CDC or the FDA or Fauci or whatever, they kept changing the story and changing their tune on what worked and what didn't work. And yet this mask mandate uh, just stayed in place like a bad government program. Kept getting extended. Right, and kept getting extended. And so it takes one judge to uh, strike it down. And now you saw on social media all of the five, ten-second videos of these airplane after airplane cheering. Cheering, yeah. Yeah. When when pilots would make the announcement and... and, um, stewards were excited that they didn't have to wear them anymore and all of those kinds of things. And and yet, uh, here's an interesting thing that I noted from this. So uh, I just the other day, I think I heard or read that the, um, the administration is going to appeal and challenge that ruling from Judge Mazel. So... But bear in mind that the mask mandate had uh, on planes and, and public transport had just been extended from April 18th to May 3rd. Right. So it was set to expire May 3rd, which is now like two weeks away. So they're appealing a ruling that was set to go in place anyway just two weeks from now. It shows and reveals they never had an intention of letting it go away Anyway, they were going to keep extending it, keep extending it, because this is, as you have said oftentimes, we are now in the phase of this where 
it is abundantly clear they care about nothing but power and control. Right, and it's interesting too because I think it's a, going to be a critical mistake. Uh, to me, the answer, if you're just talking raw politics, the, the answer for the Biden administration should have been, thrown their hands up and said, well, we lost, it got struck down. But they're doubling down on this, and I think it's a devastating political decision that is going to hammer them in November. Exactly. Speaking of political decisions, the administration he brought a halt to the border wall on the southern border of Mexico. You now have Governor Abbott uh, kind of busing uh, uh, migrants, uh, kind of crossing the border crossers right. up to uh, D.C. I heard about that some of them are going up to Delaware. Uh, it's it's causing potentially change, uh, causing changes to supply needs and supply chains. All kinds of interrelated things as a, as a result of the administration's unwillingness to tackle uh, border issues and really get their arms around what our immigration system should ultimately look like and move in that direction. Nearly one million, think of this, nearly one million migrants have been caught at the border since October. And those are just the ones that have been caught. Yeah. So the message is, come through the southern border, I believe politically... This is a purposeful tactic on the part of the hard left um, to uh, ultimately change the fabric of this country. We're not talking about, oh, we're a nation of immigrants, because we are. Uh, we at JMI believe in uh, broad and strong and open legal immigration. Uh, but I think this is a, a, a tactic of the hard left. They don't care. They don't care. And they want People dropped off. We had a meeting with a high-level Florida uh, politician just yesterday, and this politician was telling us that these midnight bus drops are absolutely occurring in the state of Florida. And so you're seeing these people dropped off, access to social services in these small towns, kids going to school. There's no no place, no COVID tests. There's there's no effort on the part of the White House to vet any of this, terrorists, whatever the case, and terrorists have been caught there. Yep. Um, and so it's it's just a disaster, but I truly believe it's being done purposefully. And you see that kind of uh, play out in social media platforms and folks' uh, kind of perspectives on it, which takes us right into uh, the news of the week, which is... Elon Musk making a bid to uh, not only purchase Twitter outright for 40-something billion dollars, but then a commitment on his part uh, publicly to take the company private. Um, he's claiming that it has become a disaster, and a, I think he called it a dumpster fire in terms of their policies. He has brought out a lot of the hypocrisies on the board of directors of the company, which collectively own, I think it's like less than a percent of the actual company shares. Um, Twitter is then moved to activate what they call a poison pill, which right. would dilute shares. What is your take on kind of, uh, one, how this is all playing out? And then secondly, what really should or should not be a government's role in a private platform like Twitter? Well, I think there are two really interesting issues. One is the corporate issue, and that is that the board of directors, by law, have a fiduciary responsibility to maximize shareholder value. Exactly. And by adopting the poison pill, 
they are doing the exact opposite. Precisely. So they're in breach of their fiduciary responsibility. I think Elon Musk uh, was offering $54 and change yep. a share. At the time, it was at 43 a share. That, that maximizes shareholder value. So I think... On, on on that issue alone, imagine if this were Apple or if this were Ford or if this were Coca-Cola or something like this and the board of directors said, no, we're going to adopt a poison pill that drives down our stock price. I mean, people would go nuts. So that's one issue. They're in breach of their fiduciary responsibility. The second issue is this whole idea of free speech. And what we're seeing and what Elon Musk, God bless him, has done is he has revealed that the left does not want to compete in the arena of ideas. We know they can't compete in the arena of ideas, and that's why they don't want to. And so instead, that's where the cancel cancel culture has been born, that out of this idea that they don't want and can't compete with uh, people who share, for example, the values of the Institute, the hard left knows they can't win. The hard left only represents, you know, five to eight percent of the population in the entire country, but they have outsized influence because of social media, academia, and the old media, what I call the traditional old media. And they can't compete in the arena of ideas. They will lose. And so that is the second issue that Elon Musk has shown an incredibly bright light on. And for that, I'm grateful. Which is why you have the left taking to all of those uh, outlets that they have to write stories about if Elon Musk takes over Twitter, he will re-platform Donald Trump and democracy and Western civilization will die. Those are what... Kind of folks like Robert Reich and Jennifer Rubin and Max Boot are all writing right now. That I mean, Robert Reich actually had who was Clinton's labor secretary and an avowed socialist. It actually said that dictators want a free and open internet. Right. I mean, a completely asinine statement, but that was the premise of his piece on this. And, and it just kind of it is to take it back to what you said. It is about who controls the levers, right. and the left wants to control well, the levers. Well, and the interesting thing is, you talk about a brave new world, you talk about Fahrenheit 451, any of those dystopian novels that we all read in high school, this idea that Twitter says they need content moderation to protect people from disinformation, content moderation, I, you know, there were those on the left that were actually saying content moderation is pro-free speech, when in actuality, it's nothing of the sort. And it just reflects those dystopian novels that we all read in high school. It's it's absurd. Well, and it also goes back to what is Twitter, what is Facebook, what is uh, Instagram? They are private organizations free to do what it is that they do. And if they want to go uh, forward as a public company, if they want to issue shares, they are beholden to whomever buys right. those shares. And if that means that Elon Musk buys up the shares and takes over the company, wants to take it private and implement his own uh, version of what the platform moderates or does not moderate. That is called the marketplace right. of ideas. That's right. Let's shift over to inflation because it is a big issue right now. We just got the CPI number, which I think is underreporting. Me too. Inflation at 8.5%. The producer price in index is uh, up, I think it's 11 or 12% year over year. Huge increases. Uh, unfortunately, 
the way that this is going to play out is increases in interest rates in order to constrict money supplies. You've got the 30-year mortgage. Uh, I can remember not long ago, it was under 3% in spots, uh, and now we're looking at 5%. Right. That's going to impact home uh, affordability for folks or, or folks who are the, the amount of home that they're able to uh, get. I know I just bought a home a year ago. It was, I think, a 3% uh, fixed rate. Now, like I said, over 5 Big issue there. But you also see it in food and in energy and places like that. Gas is, you know, four dollars a gallon, give or take, depending on what state you live in. In Florida, it's roughly four dollars a gallon. Uh, you know, a year ago it was under, it was like two sixty. So, you know, that's almost that's a forty percent increase just in energy costs and utility costs. And in a state like Florida, we don't worry about winter heating bills. We worry about summer air conditioning bills. Oh yes, and they're going to go. Up, 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 and so the. I think you're absolutely right. I think the inflation number is underreported. I think the Fed is moving incredibly uh, slowly uh, to get this done because they see the politics of it, and I think the uh, the American people are furious about being in this position. You know that we keep getting told Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine is the should be the story we're all thinking and talking about. And it's a tragedy. And what Putin has done in terms of invading a sovereign nation is is horrible. And we should be arming the Ukrainians with with uh, weapons to fight their own war. But that is not the issue on the minds of Americans. It's not a pocketbook issue. And as we continue this, what we're going to see is a greater uh, stress on middle class, no working class families who spend a larger percentage of their disposable income on these items that are continuing to go up. And I know that this is not important as gas prices or food, but a statistic that we just uh, read, 35% of Americans have canceled a monthly subscription of some sort in the past six months due to inflation. I just got an email from, uh, I think it was Netflix, that they are going up again on their monthly subscription to $19.99 a month. Um, and so I think the other part of that survey was another 36% of respondents said they would cancel a subscription if sure. that, you know, kind of inflationary pressure uh, uh, persisted. Um, uh, kind of, uh, we'll, we'll dive in a little bit. Uh, I, I do this, uh, probably shouldn't, but do you share uh, your subscriptions with anybody outside your home? Netflix, Hulu? Do I have to answer that question? In Are you going to plead the fifth? Are you going to plead the plead fifth? fifth? Although I do have uh, two daughters and a wife, and we all like to watch very different things, but I'm going to plead the fifth. And I think this will actually continue to trickle. And part of this is just the marketplace and competition right. because I think 10 years ago, 12 years ago, you basically had Netflix and Hulu and they were it. And so Netflix was very affordable. It was $7.99 a month. Hulu, I think, was like 2 or $3.99 a month. Now you have, I mean, I think I've got subscriptions for Netflix, Hulu, Discovery Go, Disney Plus, HBO Max, Showtime. Yes, I watch a lot of shows. <laughs> I binge. But 
as that continues to kind of break off and content goes to different providers, we're getting to a point where I canceled my cable several years ago and I saved a lot of money, but over time it's now gotten to where it's it's bumping up to that. Right. Is there eventually going to be some downward pressure because folks cancel? I hope so. Um, I, you know, Netflix is great, but it's got elasticity of demand at some level. If it goes up past about 20 There's bucks, no doubt. Yeah. I, I don't know that I would keep it. Yeah, to me, it's like gas. When gas gets above $3, people get nervous. So like $3 is the line of demarcation. The question is, is $20 for a Netflix Netflix subscription, the line of demarcation. Yeah. It may well be. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, I, and that's one where I think those are going to necessarily need to be the things that kind of all of a sudden begin to put in those companies' minds time to back yeah. off some of these price increases. And, 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 you know, speaking of driving up costs, the, the unions have been emboldened by this administration uh, to begin to look to unionize everything that they can uh, across America. We've seen the push uh, to unionize Starbucks in roughly 20 different locations, uh, Amazon up on Staten Island, and now they're looking at Apple at Grand Central Station. And what, what we know to be true is that when unions, when, when companies unionize, it drives up the cost of the product, the product becomes worse, and the ability to... to transact that is to order and get the product becomes much more spotty and so they're emboldened by union joe uh you know lunch pail joe who who is a huge supporter of the unions and we're seeing that play out all across the country and in the end it inevitably becomes an outlet and a vehicle for nothing more than financial corruption right. i mean it is true from uh, from back in the 40s, 50s with the Teamsters uh, through the uh, the dealings of the SEIU and, and other unions that and have existed. And the fundraising arm for the Democratic Party exactly. because the unions give 90, over 95% of their donations are to Democratic candidates. So it becomes this uh, unhealthy cycle, well, healthy if you're a Democrat and a union boss, cycle of uh, quid... Pro quo. Let's uh, let's finish up on culture. Uh, new data reportedly showing homeschool numbers more than forty six percent above pre pandemic levels nationally. Uh, we talk about unions; it's a bad sign for the teachers' union. It is. It's a uh, it's a sign that I think state legislatures around the country need to be addressing uh, the elements of school choice in a far more aggressive way, like we do in Florida, like they do in West Virginia, like they do in a handful of other states. Um, this is something where, as you often say, uh, it used to be live free or die. Now it's live free or move. Mm -hmm. People are moving. They're pulling their kids out of school. They are taking matters into their own hands. They are. And I think the pandemic was really eye-opening for parents and their children's education. Now, here in Florida, much like keeping the economy open, we don't fully understand the you know if, if there's a dearth of school choice options. Because we have more forms of school choice. We have more children in school choice. Uh, little known fact that our, that our listeners may not be aware of, almost half, think of this, almost 50% of K-12 through uh, kids in school in Florida 
participate in some form of school choice. That is an amazing statistic. Now, could it be better? Of course. Is the Holy Grail where the money, the tax dollars follow the child? Of course. That's the way it should be. But the reality is Florida is one of the leading states in the nation when it comes to school choice. And oh, by the way, graduation rates are up. Reading scores are up. Uh, all of those uh, NAEP scores are up. All of those things matter. And I think you're going to see, continue to see, because we saw the union bosses, the teacher union bosses, who don't represent the teachers even though they say they do, uh, want to keep schools closed, uh, got into a big uh, argument over vaccine versus unvaccine, mask, 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 and they're losing that argument. And parents have said, enough. It started in Virginia with the, the election of Governor Yunkin. It continues in Florida with the popularity of Governor DeSantis. And you're going to see this play out. School board members in San Francisco were... were recalled. Recalled, yes. And you're seeing that happen all across this country. Uh, let's jump back because we were talking about Netflix. I just watched it. It's a couple of years old, but it was this great documentary about uh, this uh, faux music festival that happened or was supposed to happen over in the Caribbean somewhere. It became uh, this like huge issue because the promoters and the planners didn't do anything. They just took the people's money right. and these all of these rich folks ended up coming to this island and they had nothing and there. What was the documentary it was called, called Fire. Yeah. F-Y-R-E. Now, I am not... A, I love live music, but I'm not a, a music festival guy. Right. Uh, so I started to look in and um, I think I went to one music festival up in Tennessee a little while back. Uh, a number of years ago, but uh, are you a music festival guy? I was a music festival guy when I was young and before I was married. So we would go to jazz fest and we would do things like that. Um, I I have fallen off the map since I've gotten married now, 30 years, and had children. So no, I'm not a music festival well, guy. And, and so we're in the music festival kind of realm of the year. It's springtime into summer. You know, It's a great time. I was looking at, uh, so Coachella just happened. And so mm-hmm. I, I've heard the name Coachella, but I, you know, didn't, I had a look at it. And the sad thing was, is that I did not recognize any of the lineup on the day that I was looking at for who was performing. Makes you're no, getting really old. I'm getting really old. But I didn't even realize where Coachella was. No so idea. I'm going to, uh, we're, we're going to show how old we are here. Okay. I'm going to give you five of these music festivals that are either okay. ongoing or coming. Just get, if you could give me the name of the state they're in, okay. I'll be impressed. All right, Coachella. Oregon, uh, Northwest, Washington State. Okay, you were right on the coast, but apparently it's in California. And I say apparently because I didn't know that either. Okay. This is one I actually know because I've got friends that have gone to this a number of times. Bonnaroo. Uh, the Nevada Desert. No, that's I'm Burning getting, Man. I'm getting it mixed up yeah. with Burning, Burning Man. Man. Yeah. Bonnaroo is Tennessee. And, and I actually, I have friends that go to this one, but they have a great lineup of singer-songwriters. And, and if there is a music festival I might go to, it would be Bonnaroo. Here's one from our days, Lollapalooza. Chicago. Okay, you got to know Lollapalooza right, gotta, if you're over the right. age of 45. Okay, yeah. that's, that's, that's true. Shaky Knees. Atlanta. And the, and the reason I know that is because my daughter lives in Atlanta. So Shaky Knees. I don't know Shaky Knees. I don't know what is going to be on the 
on the docket, but I know Shaky Knees is there because my daughter lives in Atlanta. And, and last one is one we should know. I didn't know this one, but Hangout Fest. Mm, sounds like a Jimmy Buffett uh, kind of uh, I like the way you think about this. But uh, the keys. Now, it's uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama. Okay. You were close in terms of like how your direction was going, but uh, Hangout Fest is uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama. Well, thank you very much for joining us on this episode of Spill the Tea. Thank you for listening to Spill the Tea. For more content from the James Madison Institute, follow us on social media or check out our website at jamesmadison.org.